Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, yeah, I hope you're doing well. I'm glad that you're here today. My name's Todd. For those of you I don't know, uh, I'm really glad that you're here, especially if it's your first time. So thank you so much for joining today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Acts. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. The verses and passages will be on the screen. We are in week three of our series that we've entitled Losing My Religion. And I remember the first week, everyone's like, <gasps> It's a rock song. You can't say that in church, you know, like that sort of thing, or the concept is bad. We've kind of gotten, I guess, used to it. And uh, what we're doing is we're walking through this kind of the contrast, and there's a huge contrast between um, religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, fortunately, we as Christ followers, if we truly understand what God was doing through kind of the redemptive work of, of human history, we come to understand that relationship is what he's all about. He's not about religion that is all based on rules. And we're using the Apostle Paul uh, as kind of our lens to shed light on what that means. And I know that some of you are like really ready to get into some of these really cool specific things that he talks about. We're not quite there yet, but we will get there. I promise you um, it's an eight week series and I have ADD. So I promise you we will get there. All right. So uh, and I'm very excited about those issues, but um, we're really the last two weeks. We looked at this man whose name we know of as, as Paul, but before he was Paul, what was his name? His name was what? Saul. His name was Saul. And he was, as we talked about in week one, he was a great Christian killer. He was one of these guys who followed the letter of the law so closely, like he was such a perfect Jew of Jews, is what the Bible says that he was. He was as Jewish as you could possibly get, trained all the right way, understood the Torah, understood the law, understood it all. And he was desperate to be a good Jew and follow God perfectly. And that desperation turned him into a zealot and eventually he became what we would call today a terrorist. He was in charge of murdering so many Christians and so we're going to get into that and talk a little bit about that today. Now last week we bounced back and we took a look at something that Paul dealt with later in his life after he was Saul. I meant to say Saul. Saul. We looked at what Paul did later in his life where he kind of stomped out this idea of salvation by, by works in our lives and we talked about the fact that our salvation um, is through faith in Jesus Christ alone and we'll talk a little bit more about that today. But here's what I want to say to you today before we dive in and take a look at this great transformation that happened in Saul's life. This great moment in time where God came down and got his attention and did something that was ridiculous. Um, I want to say this because we're going to be taking a look at this from a very micro level with Paul. But we're also, well, Saul at the time, uh, but we're also going to be stepping back and taking a look at how it applies to us today whether you're a Christ follower or whether you're not. What is the story of this man who this moment in time that we're going to look at today, next to Jesus' birth, uh, death, res life, and resurrection, is, is the most important thing, aside from that, it's the most important thing that ever happened in human history, uh, Paul's transformation and his conversion, as many people call it. But here's what I want to say to you today before we dive in, is that um, your story may not be like Paul. You may not be a terrorist. You may not be killing people. Most of you are not, hopefully. Uh, but um, our story, our story of God getting a hold of us is what really matters. 
The story that God is writing in you right now, the story that he's written in your past, the story he's writing today, the story that he's gonna write tomorrow is vitally important. And it's your story. It's what makes you unique. In fact, the Bible says that we are uniquely and wonderfully made. The psalmist wrote those words. We're uniquely and wonderfully made. Uh, Jesus, um, we're, we're called a, a masterpiece. Paul refers to us as uh, a workmanship, the Greek word poema. Where do we get that? You know, we get the word poem from that word. And so God in his great sovereignty understood that we would need to be met personally, that we would need to be at a moment in time in our story met by him. And so the story of Paul is one of, it's a radical story, it's an intense story, it's an amazing conversion. And your story may not be exactly like Paul, but your story and how you came to Christ is unique. Listen, I want to say this. The message of the gospel is sure, it, it doesn't change, it is common among all of us, and that's faith in Christ alone for salvation. No question about that. But the road that we walk, the journey that we take to get to Jesus is going to be different for you and you, 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 and you. And it's your story, and God is writing that story. And today, I've got two people that I want you to hear their story. We're going to hear from one now. I'm going to ask Taylor Crotz to come up here. Um, Taylor Crotz, did I get your last name right, Taylor? Awesome. Okay, he said, yes, I did. Why don't you give a good, warm welcome to Taylor this morning? Thank you, guys. Awesome. I'm glad you're here, man. Thanks, thanks for sharing your story this morning. Uh, I asked Taylor to share a story, and over the course of these past few weeks, um, you've heard from uh, Rob and you heard from Catherine last week. I'm so happy that Catherine shared her story last week, and um, I've asked Taylor and someone else to share their story today. Um, Taylor, you grew up uh, a little bit like I did in a Christian home, but tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your religious upbringing, if you will, and how you came to Christ. So I was probably about 12 years old in a little town in North Carolina, um, Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Church. There's actually a lot of stereotypes behind that. Most of them are true. There you go, man. Same problem in the go. first service. It's all good. Sorry, it's all guys. good. It sounds echoey, but it's good for them. <laughs> all right. Um, again, most of those stereotypes are true, but that's how I grew up. You know, they, they put the fear of God in you because they want you to do good. They, they want you to walk the right path. But I had a single mom, I was an only child, and the only thing I had was school, my sports, and church. Like, that was my life. Um, I ended up going with my high school sweetheart to college. Um, she dropped out that semester, and then I was stuck all by myself at East Carolina University in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so I was alone in that sense, but uh, I had the foundation of faith in my life. I had a Bible study group in high school. Um, my, my Bible study leader had four years of Bible college, super theologically sound, but sometimes you can have everything you need, but just have the little absence of faith and just be walking in the wrong direction. So four years of college later, I find myself in a toxic relationship and I'm like, why am I here? I, I do not feel the joy that God has to offer in my life. I have everything I want, yet I feel like I'm nothing right now. So what is going on? Um, I got out of the toxic relationship, and that night, the, the, the decision that was made that night, when I said, God, I, you've got everything. I, I can't do this alone. 
I, I no longer want to do this alone because I'm not going to feel satisfied in anything I do, and I'm going to be chasing until I'm 80 and never truly find you. Mm. And it's like the clouds parted, and I heard, son, I am here. Mm. And from that moment on, you know, the, the toxic relationship was gone. Um, my life started moving in a new direction. Uh, I chose to pursue my internship for my degree. And then a month and a half ago, I end up in Hilton Head Island Community Church, and now I'm at the beach. So <laughs> things are a little different now. Man, people back home don't believe us about the beach, that there's like actual work here and there's like right. things to do. They, right. they have the picture they have. Am I right? Yeah, am I right? Like back home in Wisconsin or Ohio, it's like, yeah, you're down at the beach, just at the beach all the time. It's totally different. I love, I love the, the work that God did in your life. And, and as um, Catherine talked about last week and as Rob talked about the week before and, and sharing their story, um, genuine, a genuine, listen, a genuine meeting of Jesus means a genuine change. So what changed? How are you different today than before? So I would say it all started when I made the decision to come to Hilton Head Island um, because I told my whole family that I was leaving my homebody self. You know, this is five hours away from where I'm from. I'm leaving where I've been born and bred and learned everything I know. And they're asking, oh, you know, great, you're going here. What, what job are you having? Oh, I don't know. Okay, so, so what sport are you going to be playing? Oh, I'm not going to. So what are you going to be doing here? Where are you going to make your money? How are you going to live? How are you going to do this? So many questions, and my answer was, I don't know. My only answer was, I feel like God has something in store. I have no idea what that is. But the thought of moving forward blindly, but having just this utmost sense of faith that anything could happen, it's thrilling, but it's also a trust and a faith that built inside me that I had never had. So I get here a month and a half ago, which the only reason I was really here was because of my fiance, which is sitting right here. Um, we both graduated in December. So I told her, I was like, look, if you're, if you're getting into this thing with me, that means we're getting married. So um, <laughs> a couple months later, it was like, okay, here we go. We're getting married. And so now I'm at the beach and my whole family has no idea what I'm doing, but I'm now a, uh, a substitute at the high school, uh, head coach of the middle school. Um, I'm just in a transition stage. I'm up in front of everybody here. Um, I, was reading, I was reading in my Bible the other day. I have planning periods uh, every day, second, third, fourth block, whenever it is. But I feel like I'm always in the perfect place at the perfect time when I get to sit down and just hear what God has to say. And I was in Mark, and he was talking to me about being a farmer, which is how I grew up. You know, I, I sowed seed in the garden. You know, I went and cleaned the poop out of the stalls. Like, I did <laughs> stuff like that. I went and got the eggs so I could have breakfast that day. So that's how my life was. And so when he talks about the farmer and sowing seed, I'm like, okay, yeah, I get that. I know how to do that. But then the moment he says the seed is the word, it blew my mind because he's basically telling me, like, it doesn't matter where mm. you're going. Just you got to keep on telling people mm. what it's all about. You have to let them understand what faith really is. And so now my family back home is so proud of me. And I'm like, guys, like I told you from the beginning, like I didn't do any of this. I was like, I'm just lucky to be here and be in front of everybody because God has literally laid every single stepping stone for me. And I couldn't have done it by myself. You know, I think that, that my man, I'm so glad that you're giving God the glory, which is what you're doing for him working in your life and trusting him and allowing that to be a witness um, to the people around you. But I love the part in your story where you had that moment where you heard God speak, yeah. that, that still small voice, that whisper. And, and here's the key. Taylor listened. He listened to the Spirit of God. 
And so something began to happen in your heart, yep. and you're a changed man because of it. And um, I'm Amen. proud of you. It is not easy to get up here. <laughs> Catherine knows. It's not easy to get up here. Rob yeah. knows. It's not easy to get up here and give your testimony. And I'm proud of what's going on in your life. Thank you for sharing a little bit of it. Yeah. And why don't you give it up for Taylor this morning, man. Thanks, Billy. Thanks for what you're doing in the schools, too, man. It's good. It's awesome. It's awesome. He told me in the last service, he said, I got to go later to um, middle school softball. That's your middle school softball. He said, like, I got to go to middle school softball practice. I'm like, well, can you wait until the second service is over? Because I want our people to hear um, your story. And God is writing the story in Taylor's life. Um, he's writing it in your life. This story is being written, and it's personal. Listen, we, we, we have the great opportunity as Christ followers. If you're here today and you're a Christ follower, you have the great opportunity. If you're not, my prayer is, is that you would come to him. But we have a God who knows our name. He knows our name. He knows us by name. He loves us, and he's personal. And the story of Taylor and the story you'll hear later from Paul, um, it's, it's personal. But your story is personal. And what God is doing to order your steps to come to a place where you could put your faith in Jesus, he is ordering those steps. He's writing that story. And maybe that happened long ago in your past, but maybe, you know, things have gotten a little dry. Maybe things have gotten, maybe you've just had like a little season or a long season in your life where you feel now far from God. Regardless of what that is, the problem is, is that we so often just take in all this head knowledge. This is what Paul was doing. This is what Saul was doing. We take in all this head knowledge. And the problem is, is we never let it penetrate our hearts. Acts chapter 3 the story of this, this man by the name of Saul. There was this guy by the name of Stephen, just to give you a little prequel. And I talked about this two weeks ago, but Stephen was given this great message and people heard it and people's lives were changed. And it was the, the message that Stephen gave, one pastor said, this was not a seeker sensitive message at all. It was in your grill, big time. And it was, uh, you know, it was impactful, it was hard and harsh. And, and the leaders of that day decided to do something to Stephen. What did they decide to do to Stephen? They stoned him. And so that's where we pick up the story of Paul, Saul here, Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3. And Saul approved of his execution. The first martyr, the very first martyr for Jesus, this man was the one that put his stamp of approval on that killing. This is Saul. He approved of his execution, and then arose that day a great persecution against the church there in Jerusalem. How Saul ended up back in Jerusalem is amazing in and of itself. He had kind of gone back to the place where he had studied. It's a, kind of a long story, but the fact that he was there was really interesting. And they were, um, uh, and and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. And Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This man had it out for Christians. And we saw that that was related to his desire to be a perfect God follower. Kind of ironic, isn't it? And then we move over to Acts chapter 9. And in verse 1 of Acts chapter 9, we read this. Luke writes this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, 
went to the high priest. Okay, so now we see that he's still doing the things that he's been doing as Saul, this man who was killing Christians. And Saul asked for the letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging, if he found any belonging uh, uh, to uh, belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. By the way, Christians in the early days of the church were called followers of the way. And it was a derogatory remark. The Jews had come up with this, and it was a way to kind of poke fun at these people who didn't have a rabbi. His rabbi was now gone. Jesus had, had left them, and they called them followers of the way. And a couple centuries later, when the first time that we heard the word Christian, it was a derogatory mark because the word Christian means little Christ. And they were trying to point out that our faith was small. It's kind of funny how that's still happening today. In verse 3, we see this. Now he went on his way, and he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I want to stop for just a second. Have you ever, ever had a time in your life where, like, God had to shock you? I mean, he had to shock you. He had to get your attention. And maybe it was a toxic relationship like Taylor talked about or, or kind of like looking out in the future and not seeing hope. Or maybe you were in a compromised situation. And God shocked you. Somebody said something at the right time. You read something at the right time. You see, God understood the very nature of the personal nature of who God is, wanting to meet with us personally, understood that there's no way that Saul could have heard the gospel in any other way except for coming down and shocking him. And that's exactly what God does. I heard one theologian say that God is the hound of heaven. The hound of heaven. And he was reaching out to this man named Saul. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's interesting that he says that because there's two things there. One is he calls him by name. Isn't that cool? Like even in this moment where God is getting his attention to save him, to convert him, he doesn't judge him. He doesn't say, you terrorist, you killer of my followers. He says, Saul. He uses his name. He uses his name. Maybe today you're listening to this. You're here or you're listening online. Maybe you're far from God. And maybe what you need to hear right now is, is that God knows your name. He knows your name. Maybe he's calling you. And maybe you don't hear it by name, but I want you to know that he knows your name. He knows your name. He's that personal. He says, why are you persecuting me? It's the second part of that that's interesting is he didn't accuse him of persecuting the church. He said, you're persecuting me. And that's what Saul needed to hear in that moment in verse 5. He says, where are you, Lord? I think it's so interesting that he uses that term. Once he realized, he says, where are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless. You bet they did. Can you imagine? Now, they didn't see it. Look at this. Hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Can you imagine? 
Like they hear this going on, they see Paul down there, but they don't see anything. I mean, these guys are like, okay, we knew it was a little dangerous to, to like travel with this guy, but this just got weird, all kind of serious weird. What's going on here? And then Saul, verse eight, he rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now Saul, the man Saul to this point had been so incredibly devoted to God that that devotion he thought to be the perfect, the perfect Jew, he thought that that meant stomping out all of this movement of these followers of the way, all of these Jesus people. He wanted to stomp out. And what was going on is, is that Paul, he knew the word, he knew the first five books of the Bible, he knew the law of God better than anyone else. He was educated in it, he understood it, he knew it, he even learned how to defend it. But here's the problem with Saul. Saul allowed the word of God to penetrate his mind, but he never allowed the word of God to penetrate his heart. And that's why he couldn't see, that's why he was blinded to his actions of killing Christians. N.T. Wright, who's a modern day theologian, who um, his book is a book that I've been listening to on audiobook because I like listening better than reading. And he wrote a book called Paul, a Biography. He didn't go far from the creative uh, threshold on that one. But anyway, he's an amazing theologian. And he wrote this. He says this. He said, Saul had been absolutely right in his devotion to the one God, but absolutely wrong in his understanding of who that one God was and his purpose, how his purpose would be fulfilled. He had been absolutely right in his devotion to Israel and the Torah, that's the law, but absolutely wrong in his view of Israel's vocation and identity and even in the meaning of the Torah, the law itself. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks, the meaning of the law. His lifelong loyalty, he continues, was utterly right but utterly misdirected. He had a zeal for God but had not ever understood what the one true God was up to. And my fear is, is that for some of you that you've walked into this place or you're listening to my voice and you, you may have a, an intellectual, maybe even academic understanding of who God is, but you've never allowed the spirit of God to penetrate your heart, to change you from the inside out. And Paul had to be shocked had to be blinded to see what God was doing. Acts 9, 10 through 19, I'll continue the story and then draw a few conclusions. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. He was probably the leader of the, 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 the um, uh, Jews there. The Lord said to him in a vision, um, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Um, when you say that, you better watch out because God may put you on an interesting, difficult, exciting mission. And that's exactly what happens here. He says, here I am, Lord, Ananias, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And I'm sure that Ananias was like, oh boy, did I say I was here? But Ananias answered, he said, Lord, 
I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is like, did you, are you sure that you didn't, that you said Paul? Like maybe there was another name there. Maybe it was like somebody different, this man by the name of Paul. I've heard about him. I've heard what he's done. Saul, I, I keep saying Paul, I meant Saul. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings of the children of Israel. This man who is stomping out Christianity, God said he's going to be used as an instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. And skipping down to verse 18, and immediately, immediately, Something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized. And next week, Justin's gonna, gonna talk to you about the next phase of this man whose name changed from Saul to Paul and what he did and how he got there and how this penetration of the heart was so incredibly meaningful to him and to the world. But I want you to just get a glimpse of this in Acts 9, 20 through 22, at what happened. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the one that was killing Christians. That had orders to go into Damascus. Legal orders to kill, most experts believe, 10,000 or more Christians. He had orders given by the, the high priest to kill Christians. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of all those who call upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Some theologians say that this wasn't a conversion, because that's how we hear of it, am I right? Maybe even those of you who haven't been to church, this is kind of a common phrase, like somebody had their Damascus Road experience, right? It's a very common phrase, or a conversion experience like Damascus. Some say that he continued in the way of Judaism, that this was the real God-given completion, and it just finally sunk into Paul's heart. But it was a conversion in behavior for sure. It was a conversion in terms of his mission. But what can we learn? Three things today. Three things. This will be very quick. First and foremost, there is no sin that you or I have ever committed that is so great that God won't forgive you. Paul's story is a story that screams to us that there is no sin that we have in our past, no sin that we're committing right now, no sin that we're commit, going to commit tomorrow and the next day and in the years to come that is so great that God won't forgive you. Is that not good news, church? That is good news. We see how terrible he was in Acts 8, 1 and 9, 1. But look at what he wrote. Look at what this same man who was changed by the Spirit of God, look at what he wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. He says this, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood for the, what is that next word for what? 
forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us all in all wisdom and insight. There was no one who could have understood what forgiveness was, was like, like Paul. He understood it. And so I want you to hear today that there is no sin that you've committed in your past. There's nothing that you're currently involved with that is so great that God won't forgive you. Inevitably, entering into a true, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ means that you will change. It's Taylor's story. Story you're going to hear in a moment from Paul. It's my story. It's many of your stories. It's Paul's story. But there's nothing that you've done that is so, so horrible that God won't forgive you. Secondly, what can we learn from the Damascus Road experience? There is no point in your life that God will give up on you. There's no point in your life that you are so far from Him, so far gone, so far dead that he will give up on you. He'll never give up on you. He'll never give up on you. I never saw this until a few weeks ago in studying for this, this message series. I had this picture of Paul heading to Damascus, going from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem and Damascus are, uh, Damascus is just north of Jerusalem. I mean, not just, it's a many days journey north of Jerusalem back then. But I had this picture that like Paul and the people that were traveling with him, these guys that were probably pretty scared because they didn't see anything, but they heard the voice and Paul's on the ground. I had this picture that they were halfway through their journey, right? We go to Atlanta a lot. I can tell you, Dublin is exactly halfway between here and Atlanta. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, out in the desert. Like, it's kind of like, yeah, Paul stopped in Dublin. He might have gone to the Cracker Barrel there, and God met him after Cracker Barrel. God does that after Cracker Barrel, doesn't he? That was my picture, but I want you to see this. Check this out. Verse 3 of Acts 9. As he went on his way, he, what's that next word? He what? You can say it. It's okay. He approached Damascus. The guy was close. He was close. He was probably, later on we read, he was probably right outside the gates of Damascus. Listen to this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. With papers from the head guy who was okay with the ordering of tens of thousands of Christians. And that's when God met him. Potentially, we don't know for sure, but potentially in the moment that he's about ready to enter the place where he's going to commit his worst sin. His greatest act of murder. There is no point in your life where you are too far from God. There's no sin so great that he won't forgive. And maybe part of your story is struggling with your past and maybe even right now struggling with how far you are from God because of some things that maybe you've done or some things that have happened to you. And I want you to know today that God still loves you. He wants you. He wants you to hear from him. He wants you to answer like Paul did. Now, I'm going to ask Paul to come on up here, Paul Garrett, I'm going to ask him to come on up. I've asked him to share his story, and he has graciously um, said that he would share his story. 
with you. And I, even though Paul is from Ohio, <laughs> I want you to give him a round of applause this morning. All right, there we go. Thanks, buddy. Come on up, step up here. Paul, tell us your story, man. Thanks, Todd. A uh, little off script. I just want to thank you for being obedient to the Lord, but allowing different people to come and speak from your congregation. I know that's a little difficult for pastors to do, and I appreciate that because everybody's, everybody's got a message, right? Thanks, brother. Anyways, um, my name is Paul Garrett. Awesome. Um, for, for 28 years of my life, I'm, and I, I'll say this again, I'm not a self-made man. For 28 years of my life, I wandered aimlessly in this world with no direction, um, nor do I want to glorify the works of the enemy in my life for 28 years, uh, but this is my story. I was born and raised in a Roman Catholic church, and uh, I went to Catholic school up until the age of 12, and nothing against the Catholic church. They taught me a lot of values. 12 years old, I fell away from that, and then I lived in the world. 1979, my brother, Jim, who's older than me, was converted to Christianity. I came home from work one night, sat down, was eating dinner, and my brother Jim approached me and started talking to me. He tried to talk to me about the Lord. And I said, you're a Jesus freak. <laughs> Leave me alone. So I'll put Jim on the shelf because Jim comes back into the story later. That was 1979. 1981, uh, I joined the United States Navy. I was in the United States Navy from 81 to 85. 1983, God put another believer in my life. And the gentleman, I'm so fond of him now, his name was Carlos Gutierrez. And Carlos never shared the gospel with me personally in words, but he lived his life in front of me. Because at that time, there was a lot of guys in the Navy that didn't do the right things with their wives, whether it's philandering and things like that. Carlos was faithful to his wife, faithful to his family, and Carlos had an incredible amount of peace. God put him in my life. 1985, I get out of the Navy. Things are really starting to increase in my life as far as out of control. Uh, I, I developed a strong taste for alcohol and drinking. And around 1987, uh, I got a DUI. And within a couple months after that, I wrecked my car. Within nine months after that, I got another DUI. So now, I'm looking at going to jail, 30 days in jail. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, here's God's hand again. I went before a judge, and fortunately, the judge was a recovering alcoholic. And he said, you need help. So he sentenced me to an alcoholic clinic for 10 days. Um, I spent 10 days in an alcoholic clinic. I still didn't quit drinking. I met a girl there who's not my wife now, and I decided in all these things that were also going on in my life, I decided I wanted to get married to her. So I called my brother Jim up, who's a Christian, remember Jim the Jesus freak, and I said, Jim, I want to get married. Do you know anybody that will do my wedding? And he said, yeah, I know this pastor that I'm going to church. I'm going to Youngstown Baptist Church. He goes, his name is Jamie Gillespie. He said, why don't you give him a call? So I called Jamie up, and I said, could you do my wedding? He said, sure, but I want to meet with you first. So I said, okay. So we sat at the meeting. I walked into his office, sat down across the desk, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He asked me straight out, 
Paul, has anybody ever told you how to get to heaven? I said, no. And he goes, well, what do you, how do you, do you have any idea how you do that? And I said, well, do the right things, communion, all those things. And he said, that's not it, Paul. So he took a piece of paper out of his desk. He put it on, the, on his desk, and he, he wrote Romans 6.23, which is the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. He said, Paul, if you believe you're a sinner and you believe that you need a Savior and you ask Jesus into your heart, you'll be saved and you'll have eternal life. I pushed back away from the desk, and I said, you're kidding me. That's too easy. <laughs> so... Um, hmm. Fast forward about three weeks in 1988, after everything he said to me and God dealing with me, plus he gave me a gospel track, I sat down at my, my uh, dining room table, and things were really unraveling in my life with my substance abuse. And I bowed my head and I said, if you, if you are who he says you are, I need you in my life to turn it around. Mm -hmm. So I gave my life to Jesus that day, and within a matter of... It, took, it was a process after that. God be, slowly delivered me from the abuse of alcohol, and um, I haven't had a drink since 1988, and I don't have nothing against people to drink. It's just it was the vice that was used in my life. Mm. So Todd asked me if I wanted to do my testimony, and I told him yes. So I was talking to my wife the other night, and um, I told her Todd wants me to do my testimony. I was excited, and she said, that's she said, I'm really happy for you, Paul. She said, you got a powerful testimony, but mine, she goes, I was saved in Sunday school. And I looked at her, and I said, no, Missy, yours is just as powerful as mine. That's right. So I want to That's encourage right. all of you, like he's saying, right. your story, this is my story. Mm. Whether you were mm. born again in Sunday school, whether you were born again in high school, elderly statesman or woman, mm. or whether awesome. you were born again by being delivered and saved from the bondages of the world. You have a wonderful story, and it's the greatest story ever told. Man, dude, that's awesome. Thank you. I, man, I appreciate so much you sharing your story. And I think my favorite part of that story is, well, there's one thing behind the scenes, I'm pretty sure your brother Jim Jesus Freak and the pastor talked, and they were praying for you. And I'm glad they were, because you were a blessing here many years later, right here today. And God's continuing to write this story. In his life, he's continuing to write it in yours. And I loved what you said at the end, because I think that sometimes my story is very much like Missy's. You know, I tell people I didn't, I didn't really run from God until after I was 40. So anyway, that's a whole other message. But anyway, and... There are sometimes we trick ourselves into believing that God can't use us for whatever reason. It's either too clean or it's too dirty. It's too good or it's too bad. He can use it. He can use it. And so it leads me to the last point today, and here's where we'll close, is that there is no road, there's no road that you've walked that disqualifies you from being accepted by God. Of all the things that we can think of that we could do that could cause us to be disqualified in terms of being accepted by God, and we talked a little bit about this last week, there is nothing, there's nothing. Whatever road you're on, whatever road you're on, he accepts you. He accepts you. 
whether it's a road that meanders and goes a long way like Paul's, whether it's, it's something um, like Taylor's here that you heard from this morning or, uh, or Catherine's uh, last week or, or Rob's or mine or yours. It is your story. And God interrupted your life and he is, has tried to and he maybe is trying to get your attention. And the key is for you to respond to what he's doing. It's for you to answer like Taylor did, like Paul did three weeks later, like Saul did. My prayer and my hope is, is that it wouldn't take something like Saul was trying to do to get you to the point where God has to literally press him on the ground and blind him and show up by himself in Paul's presence to get his attention. Trust me, trust me, you don't want that. You don't want that. There's no sin too great that God won't forgive. There's no point in your life that God will ever give up on you, and there's no road, whether straight or winding, that disqualifies you from being accepted by God. The point is, is that we would accept his free gift. That same man that was trying to stomp Christianity out writes this amazing letter in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. And he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. And I say, thank God. Church, we should all say, thank God that it's not of our own doing. We should all be so grateful. And then he says, it is the, what's that next word? The gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Years ago, I had the opportunity to meet with a man who attended our church and he was on his deathbed and he had grown up Catholic and he had grown up with all the right answers. He had grown up with all the right stuff. I mean, if, if you wanted to know something about the Bible, he knew it. If you wanted to know something about like Catholicism, he knew it. And this is, I'm not bashing Catholicism, but, but he couldn't understand. He couldn't understand that it wasn't based on him. Oh, what an amazing father that we have who said it doesn't have to be based on you. And on his deathbed, he accepted Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that there was nothing that he needed to do. All his life he had been told, you have to do, you have to do, you have to do, you have to do. And finally, my friend said, I'm done doing, I can't do anymore. And he accepted Jesus as a savior, and today he's in heaven because of that. And Paul, your story, and Taylor, your story, and Catherine, your story, and Rob's story, and your story, it's personal. It's personal. My question to you is, what is God doing personally right now with you? What is he saying to you now? How is he calling you now? And are you ready to respond and comply and say, I'm yours? Father, I thank you so much that we are uniquely and wonderfully made. And I thank you that in addition to that, that you give us the great gift of being a personal God who desires a personal relationship with each one of us. 
Father, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus for those who may be here who accepted you years ago. In fact, maybe they view their story as bland, as a little bit boring. I haven't really wandered too far off the track. They know a lot of Bible. They grew up with it. But God, something's going on right now, and, and, and you're calling them. You're wanting them to change. You're wanting them to move from a place where they, they make you and your word simple religion by just taking it in to their minds, and it doesn't penetrate their heart. And right now, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would be with those Christians, those Christ followers who may be listening, who may need to come back towards you. God, I pray that they would do that right now. God, I pray that there would be a recommitment, a real change, just like Taylor described this morning. I pray for those who are listening to my voice who may have never put their faith in you. Maybe their story is a lot like Paul's and after weeks and weeks of hearing that it's too easy, <laughs> that you made it easy. They're finally ready to say, yes, I'll accept you. If you're here today or you're listening online or wherever you may be and you're hearing this message, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer I pray often out loud in these services. And so many people who don't know him ignore it. And my great concern is if you ignore it, that you wouldn't have the opportunity. So I wanna encourage you today to make Jesus your savior if you've never done that before. If you already have, you're good, you don't need to worry. But if you're in here and God's calling you to accept him, he's calling you to say yes to the one that is calling you. I'm gonna ask you and invite you to pray this prayer or something like it to God. It goes like this. God, thank you for my story. Thank you for being a personal God and meeting me in the way that I needed to be met. Right now, today, I admit that I'm a sinner and I recognize that sin keeps me from you. But right now, today, I receive you. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Help me now to live for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this place and you pray that prayer in this room, I promise I won't embarrass you, but would you just raise your hand up high so I can pray for you? Awesome. Anyone else in this room? Awesome. It's awesome. Anyone else in this place? Father, I thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. God, I thank you for those, you can put your hands down, who have indicated they accepted you. God, I thank you for those um, couple uh, la uh, uh, this, in this past service and these here. And Father, I pray for those who may have prayed that prayer but didn't indicate it. God, I pray that you would anchor them to your word, that you would help them to find a place where they can grow and not be alone, as Taylor said earlier. And God, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage them in their journey with you. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.